is a biblical reality, and it's what Job said in the midst of all of his adversity. I want you to turn to Job chapter 1, and uh, let's see what led to those words being said, and, and not so much sung at the time, but cried out from Job's heart, because it's really kind of like this. There comes a time in every life when all hell breaks loose. Have you been there? you understand? Suddenly, unexpectedly, all hell breaks loose. Or one day, your life's sunny, it's calm, it's good, your job's secure, your kids are making you proud, your health is good, and then out of the blue, like a raging storm, all hell breaks loose. Suddenly, life's stormy. It's dark, it's overcast, it's threatening, it's out of control. And like we talked last week, lightning strikes that tallest tree in the forest and all hell breaks loose. It happens to all of us. And if, if you're saying, well, I can't quite relate to that, just hang on, it's coming. Friday comes, you get your paycheck, and in it is a termination notice. Your doctor's expression is serious, and he calls you after your checkup and says, you need to come back in. It's not looking good. Seemingly out of the blue, there might have been trouble, but you didn't think it was this bad. Your spouse says, I'm gone. I'm out of here. I'm finished. Your child seemingly rejects everything you tried to teach them. All of a sudden, life's playing hardball. It hurts, and life stinks. And one way or another, this kind of tragedy touches every one of us, and sooner or later, we're going to ask that question that's there in the top of your notes, and it's going to be this. What on earth and beyond is going on? What on earth and beyond is going on when all hell breaks loose? Well, I've got good news for you this morning. Actually, I don't. God does. Because the wonderful thing is, is when we're asking these kind of questions in the midst of these kind of storms, God's Word has answers. Amen? And it's a glorious thing. And one of the places you want to turn to in God's Word is Job chapter 1 and 2. And what I have there as a chart, you know, if, if that kind of stuff helps you, great. You know, if it doesn't, okay, that's fine. But it's an amazing Job chapter 1 and 2 asks... These two questions, what in heaven is going on? And then it shifts to earth and says, what on earth is going on? And then it shifts to heaven and says, what in heaven is going on when all hell breaks loose? And then it shifts to earth and says, what's going on earth when all hell breaks loose? There's this interchange in Job chapter 1 and 2, and I've tried to picture that for you. As you come into Job chapter 1, we saw last week, Job is enjoying his prosperity with blameless integrity, and his integrity is unquestioned. But by the end of Job chapter 2, we're going to see that now he's in adversity, and this blameless integrity is being questioned. He loses the support of his wife. There's nothing worse than to go into suffering and not have the support of your spouse. He loses the sympathy of his friends. Oh, they came to give him comfort. They result, the result is they became his critics. Easier to do than what we think. Easier to be Job's comforters than what we think. And through it all, Job's integrity is being tested. Listen, when all hell breaks loose in your life, 
God is allowing your integrity to be tested. And in Job, it's a test of a loss of wealth. And then it becomes a loss of health. And then it becomes a loss of support of the one person as a married person you should count on, your spouse. And then it becomes the loss of the sympathy of his friends. And through it all, that's the story of Job. Now, why do you think God is trying to tell... What, what do you think God is trying to tell us by this structure? Because here's what's happening. You know, something's happening on earth and then it impacts heaven and, and then something happens in heaven and it impacts earth and, and then something happens on earth and it impacts heaven. So there's this back and forth in these two chapters. What's God trying to tell us? I think two things. Number one, we'll never understand what on earth is going on when all hell breaks loose without divine revelation from heaven. All right? You're never going to put the pieces together without God's divine revelation. Here's what's interesting about Job 1 and 2. Job never knew what was going on in heaven until after his suffering, and even then we're not sure until he got to heaven. Job, we're, what we study in Job 1 and 2, we're getting revelation that Job didn't have for his specific situation. Now here's what's interesting. This revelation that we're getting is about Job. It's not about us necessarily. In our, so we're kind of as clueless as Job when we go through suffering. But what we know is that, that very likely what's going on behind the scenes of our suffering is something very similar to what we're seeing in these chapters. My point is, you're never going to be able to understand suffering without revelation. Number two, I think God is telling us by this structure that how we respond on earth when all hell breaks loose matters in heaven. How you respond in your suffering matters in heaven. One of the most amazing things as you read through these two chapters is that what Job does is discussed in heaven. And that's not because Job was unique. What you and I do in our suffering impacts and is discussed in heaven. Let's say a collective, wow, that's pretty heavy stuff. So I think there's some significant good structure things going on here. But what we're going to do is we're diving in to that first part of that cycle of what in heaven is going on and what on earth. So let's look at Job chapter 1 and let's look at uh, verses 6 through 12 uh, to get us going. Now there was a day Job chapter 1, verse 6, There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? And then Satan answered the Lord and said, From roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? And you've blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But put forth your hand now and touch all that he has and he will surely curse you to his face. Then the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not put forth your hand on him. Personally, So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. Now let's stop right there. And let's just 
what we're going to do in this study is just simply ask the question, what on earth is going on when all hell breaks loose? What in heaven is going on? What on earth? What in heaven? We're just going to go back and forth and work our way through this chapter. So let's look at it. Number one, what on earth is happening before all hell breaks loose? Well, the answer is found in verses 1 through 5 that we studied last week. And it's very simple. Yahweh's servant, and Yahweh is the special salvation, redeeming name that in your Bibles is the Lord in all caps. And I want to use that name because it's the name that the Bible is using at this point to emphasize to us that all that's going on is consistent with a saving, forgiving, loving, sovereign God. So Yahweh's servant is enjoying unequaled prosperity while maintaining his blameless integrity. He's just enjoying it. In the midst of prosperity, he is not forgetting God. He's faithful to worship God. And we, we studied that last week. And, and so you can go back and look at those notes and, and that lesson. But here's the point. If anyone did not deserve to suffer, it was Job. Right? Because in the midst of all this wealth, he's still staying focused on God. But in verse 6, the scene shifts from earth to heaven. It shifts from earth to heaven. And what's going to happen is this. God uses two, I mean, I'm sorry, Satan uses two things to try to tempt us away from God. He uses pleasure and he uses pain. He uses prosperity and he uses adversity. And here's what he does. In our, in our times of prosperity, he tries to get us to forget God and say, you know, I don't really need him. I got all, everything good. Everything's going well, right? The sun's up, blessed be his name, you know, but I really don't need him. And then, if that doesn't work, which it didn't work with Job, then he brings pain, and he brings adversity. And what he wants to do in adversity is not to get us to forget God, but to forsake him because we feel like God's let us down. Have you been there? You understand what I'm saying? So those two things are what he's doing. Well, prosperity didn't work, and so now... Satan, the adversary, is going to try to use adversity. So let's look at number two. What in heaven is happening before all hell breaks loose? Well, the answer is in verses 6 through 12 that I just read. And let's look at it. The very first thing is Yahweh challenges, challenges the adversary to consider the blameless integrity of his servant. Look at uh, verse 6. Look at the background of this. We're in the throne room of heaven. God is basically having a strategic planning meeting with the sons of God, which are angels. And the reason they're called the sons of God is because they act like heirs of a great and, and, and rich and powerful ruler. They help the father, they help the king do his kingdom business on earth. They're his messengers. They're his servants. And so God's having this strategic planning meeting, and he's basically asking his messengers to give, them a, a, give him a report of how his kingdom purposes are advancing on the earth. How are my people progressing? How are my purposes going on? But suddenly, in verse 6, there comes in the midst one of them who is also an angelic being, just like they are, but unlike them, he's not a willing servant. He's called the Satan. Every time he's mentioned in Job, he's called the Satan, which means the adversary. The one who accuses, attacks, 
and aggressively goes against God's purposes. So here's the throne room. God's saying, how's my kingdom purposes advancing? And suddenly, His adversary shows up. And now, Yahweh, God Almighty, challenges Him. And here's what He says. Number one, Yahweh challenges the adversary's presence in heaven with a question about his destructive activity. Look at verse 7. Literally, he says in our Bibles, from where do you come? But you've got to get the tone of this question. It's the question that you and I got when we were kids. And we'd been out maybe past our curfew. Okay? Or we'd been a little too quiet. And mom comes to find out what we've been doing. And we come into the house and mom, you ever had your mom say, where have you been? What have you been up to? Now, mom really doesn't care about the location. Mom is trying to surface motivation. What have you been up to? Because I know it's what? No good. You've been up to trouble. And the question merely gives you an opportunity to come clean and admit what you're doing. So that's what he's saying here. He's literally saying, so what brings you here. We're advancing kingdom purposes here. You're my adversary. What are you doing here? And what have you been up to? Now, please understand, God is not ignorant. He already knows. He's not asking for location. He's not asking for information. He is challenging, as God often does. He's questioning to give us an opportunity to come clean on what we're doing. In other words, Yahweh's getting down to business with his adversary. So, Mr. Accuser, what are you going to accuse me and my people about today? And here's what the adversary answers there in verse, in verse 7. He answers, from roaming about on the earth and walking around. I've just been taking a stroll. Again, you've got to get the tone of it underneath that. The tone of what he's saying, and when you study it out, he's saying... I've been prowling all over the planet like a predator looking for my prey. I've been looking like a lion. I've been stalking your people. I've been waiting to look for a weakness, a place where I can attack. In fact, the wording is extremely similar to 1 Peter 5.8, which says this, Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, same word, the devil prowls or literally walks around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. What have you been up to, adversary? I've been stalking your people, seeking whom I may destroy. And so, number two, Yahweh continues the challenge and he challenges the adversary's purpose on earth with a question about Job's blameless integrity. In other words, he says this, Have you checked out my servant Job? Because there's no one else like him. Oh, you want a really meaty, for you know, wonderful prey to pounce on? Why don't you pounce on Job? Why? Because this guy is awesome. He's a trophy of my grace, and he has a testimony of faith that is blameless. In other words... Satan, if you take him down, you've beaten me. And you've beaten my people. 
because he's the tallest tree. You know, you, you don't you, you don't understand? You take out the president, you take out the country. You understand what I'm saying? You take the highest. Basically, he's bringing the battle to the adversary and saying, look, if you want to pounce on someone, if you want to try to take me down, then you're going to have to take Job down. Have you checked him out? Now, I think that's two, there's two reasons for why he's, he's pointing to Job. One, he knows that if this godly man falls, like I've seen, he's like the champion on the planet. He's already said, this is the most godly guy on the planet. If you bring him, then you've brought everybody down. And I think also, God knows that Satan has been stalking Job for a long time. In other words, he goes, I know you got your eye on him, so let's just bring the battle Let's just, let's, just, let's just have it out right now. And the reason I think I know from the text that Satan knows about Job, because when he brings Job up, as we're going to see in a minute, he knows everything. He knows how large that hedge is because he's been trying. Okay, you're going to break into Randy's house. Okay, just, you can just go right down the street here. You're going to break into Randy's house. Okay, are you ready, Randy? You know, Job, it might happen. You never know. If you're going to try to break into Randy's house, what are you going to do? You're going to try the door. And then you're going to try the window. And then you're going to go around back. And then you're going to try and see if the garage is locked. Why? Because if you can find an opening, you're going to go in. That's what Satan's been doing. Well, let's look at, the ch- let's look at how he responds. What does the adversary do to, to God's challenge? He criticizes the motivation of Job's blameless integrity. The adversary criticizes or attacks or questions, you know, whatever... He, he, he criticizes the motivation behind Job's blameless integrity with slanderous questions. Now, look at, the, look at what he does in verse 9. It's verse 9 and 10. And this is how the devil works. The devil never does a direct attack. Do you realize that when people ask questions of you, if their heart's not right, that question can be the same thing as sticking a knife in you? They're asking the question, but in the question is an accusation. And here's what he says. Number one, the adversary accuses Yahweh's servant and Yahweh himself of being selfish by questioning their motivation. So he asks these questions, and the first question attacks Job's motivation and says he's selfish, and the second question attacks God's motivation and says, you're selfish. Let's look at it. The first question is this. The adversary says, does Job fear you for nothing? In other words, doesn't he profit from worshiping you? You think he's got such integrity, but the reality is he worships you because you buy him off. He worships you for what he can get from you and not because of who you are. And then the adversary takes it deeper and he questions God's motives by saying this. Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the works of his hands and his possessions have blown out and and just exploded. Basically what he's saying is, yeah, Job worships you because you bribed him. You bought him. He, you protect him, and he praises you. But remove that protection. 
take from him what you have given to him and watch him curse you to your face. And that's the next point. The adversary arrogantly orders Yahweh. Okay, this isn't a little conversation between two equals. This is God Almighty holding in the throne room of God, holding a strategic planning session, and an uninvited guest shows up, which God allows, and he starts giving orders to God Almighty. Listen, Gabriel and Michael, the archangels, aren't giving orders to God. And just a little side note here, in suffering, our prayers can become orders to God. God, you better do this. God, you got to do this. So here's what he says. He orders Yahweh to reach out his hand to destroy Job's, Job, Job's, Job's prosperity in order to reveal the true motives of his heart. Look at how he emphasizes this in, in, in verse 11. He says, your hand. Put forth your hand, and you touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And, he, and these are all commands, and, and you can almost picture, we don't know, but it, it's like Satan sticking his finger in his face, or tapping his chest and saying, you better, you do this. Alright? Now, we're at the heart of the book, so let's stop, and let's look at the question of motivation. Why do we fear God and worship him? Why do we fear God? This is what the whole book of Job is about. So if you don't get this, you're not going to understand. It's really not about suffering. It's about why do you fear God? Why do you love Him? Why are you here this morning? And why will you be here next week? And why during the week will you love the Lord and speak for Him? Here's the, here's the question of motivation. There is first a selfish motivation of the prosperity gospel. There is a selfish motivation that says, the reason I fear God is because what He gives me and how He has bribed me. Now, we would never say that. We would never say that. But the reality is we often just love God because of what He's done for us and what He's physically given us. But then there's the sacrificial motivation of the persevering gospel, the sacrificial motivation of the persevering gospel that says this, I worship God because who He is and how He has changed my heart, which doesn't depend on prosperity or adversity. He's changed my heart. And He's God. And He's my God. And I'm going to worship Him. Remember what I said. Satan uses what? Pleasure and pain. Prosperity and adversity to tempt our hearts. And Job is basically, and the question now becomes does Job simply worship God in prosperity? Or will Job, will you, will I worship him in adversity? Now comes the hardest part of the book of Job. The adversary gives these arrogant orders of which God does not have to obey. But He chooses to do this next point. Yahweh gives the adversary consent. He gives the adversary consent or permission to reach out His hand to destroy Job's prosperity. Yahweh gives the adversary consent or permission to reach out His hand to destroy His prosperity. Now, that's in verse 12. Look at it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Satan, behold, all that he has is in your power. Only 
Do not put forth your hand on him. So Satan immediately checked out and went down to earth. Now, two things. First of all, I want you to notice this is not a wager. A lot of uh, uh, Bible uh, scholars or students of the Word say that this is a wager. And if you're not careful, it, it's a kind of a freaky scene, right? God's up there, Satan, and, and it's like they're, you know, hey, I, I bet you I can do that. Oh, I bet you you can't. And, and, that, and, and that's, that's kind of humorous. Until you stop. You realize that not just ten people, ten kids lost their lives. But every servant he had, and he had many, we were told, except four, lost their lives. In violent, vicious, perhaps including rape, and other sorts of violence. And suddenly... It's not so humorous to think that this could be a wager, that this could be a bet. What kind of God is it that would bet with people's lives? Well, here's the answer. This is not wager. This is warfare. This is not a bet, but is a battle of the forces of this universe, and you and I are on the battlefield. And we're on one side or the other, but we're in the battle. And we're either the Sabaeans and the Chaldeans who are wrecking and doing havoc in relationships as being led by the powers of darkness, or we're with Job, who is the people of God, and we're a part of this battle. So don't think that God plays lightly with people's lives. Not a wager, but warfare. Not a bet but a battle. And the reason it's not a bet, because God already knows the outcome, people. God already knows. The reason He brought up Job was because He knows, He knows Job's heart. And He knows why Job fears Him. And He knows Job is going to persevere. And so He allows this to happen to show what's in Job's heart and to show how great a God He is. And... They are not gambling with Job. You know, often in movies and books, you know, Satan and God, they, you know, hey, put your soul up. Hey, Job is secure in his salvation. He's secure in his faith. This isn't about Job's soul, so it's not a wager. The second thing I want you to see is this is a mystery. Please circle that word and underline it. And underline that it is a mystery that no one can fully understand or explain. God does grant Satan limited power to bring painful and deadly adversity on this planet. And I step back with humility in saying that. Because it's a mystery. It's a mystery that I don't understand it's a mystery that I cannot fully explain, but it is a mystery clearly revealed in this text. Do you agree? Do you agree? Do you see it? Satan says, reach forth your hand. And here's what God does. He says, no, my hand isn't used for that destructive power. It's your plan. It's your dirty work. It's your power that, that, that will do this. I permit it, but it's not going to be my hand 
going to be yours. You see, Satan tries to order God to do his dirty work. He does it in chapter 1, he does it in chapter 2. But both times, the Lord turns it around and says, I give you permission to put forth your hand. Sometimes in your Bible, it's translated power, your power, but it's literally hand, and hand is a metaphor, it's a picture of power. And so, Satan says, you use your power to do my dirty work. And God says, no, you use your power to do your dirty work because I have, listen, I have greater purposes. I have greater purposes, and I have greater power. Now, what does this mean? And if you're like me, you know, well, first of all, when I teach, I got I, I, I got to answer this question, okay? And if you're following with me this morning, you ought to be saying, now, what does that mean for me? Let me give you three things that it means. Number one, God's in ultimate control of all things, but is never directly responsible for the evil He permits. Are you with me? God's in ultimate control. Who allows this to happen? God. Who initiated the challenge? God. Who's the one that wants to do it? The devil. Who's the one that goes and does it? The devil. Who will be responsible for it? The devil. God ultimately controls. Listen, Satan may be a prowling lion, but he's a lion on a leash. Are you with me? He may be a lion, but he is a lion on a leash. And God holds that leash. Now, what does this mean? Number two, Satan and others are directly responsible and accountable for, advi- for the adversity and the evil they do on earth. Mark it down. One day, God is going to hold Satan accountable for what he did to Job and what he has done to us and what he's done through the ages. Not only that, but the Sabaeans and the Chaldeans who are going to murder Job's servants are one day going to stand before God and give an account and be judged for the evil that they did. That brings me to number three. Nothing comes into our lives from the adversary that does not first pass through the Lord's purposeful and merciful hands. Can I hear an amen? Nothing comes from the adversary's hand that does not first pass through God's hands. And listen, listen to me, don't miss this. Those hands have greater power than Satan, uh, storms, and sneak attacks, which all are going to take place. He's got greater power. He permits it. But those hands have a greater purpose. A greater purpose. And those hands have greater compassion. All right? Now, that's in heaven. So, what happens? Satan departs. Number three, what on earth is happening when all hell breaks loose? What on earth is happening? Well, the answer is found in verses 13 through 19. Look look in your Bibles. Now, it happened on the day when the sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in the oldest brother's house. Remember last week? They have this cycle of feasting, and they go through each seven sons' house. Guess what? Guess what they're doing? They're at the oldest son. That means the cycle has just begun again. Good times are coming. Another cycle of good times in Job's house. And then hell breaks loose. That a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing, the donkeys feeding beside them. 
Everything was the way it was supposed to be, Job. And the Sabaeans attacked and took them, and they slew the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another also came and said, The fire of God, most likely lightning, fell from heaven and struck the ground, and it started a fire, and it burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another also came. The Chaldeans formed three bands and made a raid on the camels and took them and slew the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another also came and said, Your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind from across the wilderness struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they died. And I alone have escaped to tell you. What on earth happens when all hell breaks loose. Number one, the, adver- the adversary attacks Job from every direction with all the forces at his disposal. He attacks from every direction. And, 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 and when you study this out, the Sabaeans come from the south and, and the fire of God comes from the west and, and, and the Chaldeans come from the north and, and the wind comes from the east. I mean, all points on the compass, every force. And it's the force of, of, uh, of human evil. It's the force of fire from God, lightning from above. It's the force of more human evil. And then it's the force of natural disaster, tsunami, hurricane, tornado. In other words... Job loses everything he possesses and all that is precious to him in less than an hour. He loses everything. Satan attacks and he loses everything. And why do I say less than an hour? Because as each messenger spoke, the other messenger came. Boom! 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 In less than an hour, all hell breaks loose. Everything Job had was taken from him. Now, here comes question number four. What on earth is happening after all hell breaks loose? What do you do after all hell breaks loose? Well, here's what Job did. God's blameless servant expresses his sorrow with actions of grief. God's blameless servant expresses his sorrow with actions of grief. He does five things in verse 20. He gets up, he tears his robe in mourning, he shaves his head in grief, he falls to the ground face first in the dirt, and he worships. He worships. Those are the actions of grief. And what does he do? God's blameless servant expresses his submission with words of praise. He expresses his submission with words of praise that came from the song that we sing and will sing this morning. Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return there. You know what Job says? Job says, I didn't deserve anything I, I had before and I don't, des- I, 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 I don't deserve to keep any of it either. Are you with me? 
He's saying, look, naked, hey, hey, you know everything that I just lost? And, he, and he's wailing when he's saying this, okay? So he's not reasoning like I am, okay? He's saying, look, it all came from you. And I didn't deserve to keep any of it. Because I didn't earn it. Yeah, but Job, you, you were the great businessman. But Job, you did all the work. Job, you did all the managing. No, 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 no. Because all my managing and all my business acumen and all my wisdom all came from him. I didn't deserve it when I had it. And I didn't deserve to keep it. And then he says these words. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Yahweh gave, and Yahweh has taken away. And what he is saying there is, God owns everything, and owes no one anything, including me, the most godly man on the planet. I am undeserving. He gets all the glory. It's all His, to do with as He pleases. All that belonged to God, all of it was on loan from God, and please listen to me, parents, including my kids. They are His, and they are not mine. They are gifts on loan, and He can take our children at any moment, and He is holy, good, and gracious, for He didn't have to give them to us in the first place. Wow. Wow. And then He says these words, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of Yahweh. And what had Satan said? Take from him everything he has and he will curse you to your face. And what does he do? He says, I bless you. Not because of what you give me. I bless you because of who you are. You can take it all and you are still my God because of who your character is. Because of who your name is. Three times he brings the name of Yahweh up. Three times he shows who he lives for in prosperity and in adversity. It is the name of the Lord. And just in case, and this is sad, listen. Just in case you think Job got it wrong. The narrator of the Bible, God himself says this. Through all this, Job did not sin or blame God. You see, there's some commentators who study this, and there's some men and women who have been through deep suffering, and they look at this and they go, I think Job was wrong. He's one of the great New Testament scholars that's alive today. Lost his daughter in a tragedy. And comes to these words and says, Job didn't have good doctrine when he said that. It wasn't the Lord. And yet, Job says, it was the Lord. And the Bible says he did not sin or blame God with wrong in saying that. You say, but Chris, I don't understand that. I don't either. Chris, I can't explain that. I can't either. But I know it's true. Why? Because the Bible says so. So, let me ask you, what on earth and beyond is happening with all, when all hell breaks loose? I took you through all this so that you would, we, we finally have an answer from Job chapter 1. And let me tell you two things that I know without a doubt from what we've studied. 
What on earth and beyond is happening when all hell breaks loose? Not just in Job's life, but in your life, in my life, two things are going on. Number one, God is displaying His glory through the life response of His blameless, suffering servant. He is displaying His glory. See, God knew that when Job lost everything, though Satan did it to ruin him, Job would declare his glory. And please understand, that declaration rings out throughout history now. And listen, Matt Redman didn't come up with blessed be your name. God Almighty planted it in the heart of Job to declare his glory. Do you realize that in the 21st century, God is declaring his glory through the words of Job over this entire planet through Matt Redmond's song? That is mind-blowing. Isn't that mind-blowing? Tell me that's mind-blowing. Mind-blowing. The echo of Job's praise is still echoing around the universe, declaring the glory of God. Wow. And who is this display for? According to Ephesians 3, it's for angelic powers and demonic forces so that they know the glory of God. Listen, your suffering and your response to it communicates God's praise to angelic beings throughout the universe. When you and I feel all alone and forgotten by God in our suffering, understand that when you turn to praise Him, all of heaven is listening. Wow. Wow. And you know what else He's doing, number two? He's defeating his adversary through the life response of his blameless, suffering servant. You know, Satan came up, the accuser, he came to attack, and he challenged, and God said, look, let's bring the battle. Let's, let's, let's do battle, because that's what we're in. We're in a war. And when Job said that, boom, Satan got one right in the gut. He lost. Round one, but there's going to be a round two next week, okay? But he lost round one. He lost. And God defeated the forces of evil. You say, now think about what that, look at what it says. He defeated, he disarmed the adversary. His accusations were harmless and foolish and wrong through the life response of his blameless suffering servant. Does that sound like someone else you know? What did Jesus do on the cross? A blameless, suffering servant on the cross due to false accusations. And yet, what do we sing? The glory of the cross. And what does Colossians say? That when he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made public display of them, having triumph over them through him on the cross. This is how God accomplishes his purposes. All right. So when all hell breaks loose, what's that mean for you and me? Number one. Allow the grief process to occur in your life. Let those tears flow. Listen, Job's grief did not replace worship. It was worship. Okay? So when you hurt, you hurt. Cry. And you know what we ought to be doing that aren't hurting? We should weep with those that weep. Amen? So when all hell breaks loose, do what Job did. 
Act out. Let it out. Express your grief. Number two, choose to worship God with a surrendered heart and submissive spirit. Choose to worship God with a surrendered heart and a submissive spirit. Job didn't turn from God in his grief. He turned to Him. He didn't run from God. He ran to Him with a surrendered, submissive heart. And by the way, this is how you prepare for adversity. You live with a surrendered heart today in prosperity. You see, if you're not living with a surrendered heart this morning, you're not ready for when all hell breaks loose. If you've got good times today, thank God for it and surrender your heart and submit your spirit and say, Lord, I live for you in good times and bad. That's the best preparation for it. Listen, Job didn't have to think this. Remember when you squeeze the toothpaste, what's inside comes out? When Job got squeezed, what came out was what he said every day. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Number three, fix your mind on the internal perspective of biblical reality. Job understood life is short. Eternity is forever. Naked I came. I was born. I'm going to die. But eternity is forever and God rules it all. Number four, place your trust in the mercy of God's majesty, even though it's a mystery. The Lord gave, the Lord took away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then number five, refuse to let bitterness blind you to the goodness of God's character in His name. Amen? That's just good stuff. And what Satan would like for you to do is right now, if things are going good, to just close your notes, fold it away, and say, that's nice. Let's see. Super Bowl, my job, I'm going to get that raise this week. Everything's going good. That's nice. And he wants you to forget about it. Don't forget about it. Apply these now. And if you're going through adversity, what he wants you to think right now is that you're an exception. And that somehow Job could do something that you could never do, but please don't miss Job did this not because of who he was, but because of who his God was. Amen? It's because God changed his heart, and God gave him the grace to do it. And if you're going through that deep valley, God's going to give you and I the grace to say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Wow. It's warfare. And how you decide to live in it makes a difference in the universe, and not just your life. Let's pray. Father, we come and... Wow. Life is hard. Life often stinks. And yet, sometimes life is the greatest thing going. And it really doesn't matter, Lord, because you're Lord of all. And you give it. You give it all. And your name is blessed. I pray that uh, we would not forget this in the good times and we would not forsake you in the bad times. But we would understand that you have a sovereign purpose for the pain and you have a sovereign purpose for the heartache and you're going to work through the pain to declare your glory And it's going to be through my faith 
and my response that you're going to accomplish that. And it's all because you have changed us from the inside out. Lord, may your grace minister this truth to our hearts tonight, this morning. And may we grasp it with the hands of faith and hold on to it in good times and bad. In Jesus' name, amen.